Welcome to the 38th episode of the Head Kick KO podcast. Today we're doing a pay-per-view breakdown for UFC 265. We're going to talk about the main event in depth. That is Derek Lewis versus Surreal Gan. They are fighting for the UFC Interim Heavyweight Championship. We're also going to talk about the other fights that I like and find interesting on that card. After that, we're going to talk about some fights that have just been announced. And we're going to touch on some other news that is making its way around the MMA world. So, before we get started, just a heads up. Right now, it is 5.34 on the East Coast on Thursday. So, that's kind of a rough time estimate for while you're watching this. So, if anything came out after that time, I'm not going to talk about it, obviously. So, for example, the press conference is supposed to start at 6. I'm not going to be talking about that. So, that's just a heads up if you're curious about why I missed something that maybe happened at the press conference or at the weigh-ins. Um, that's when this was recorded. So just a heads up on that before we get started. And to get started, we're obviously going to talk about the main event of Derek Lewis versus Surreal Khan. Now, I really like this fight. And the only thing I don't like about it is that it's going to be for the UFC interim heavyweight title. And I don't mean that as a knock on Surreal Khan or Derek Lewis. I just think it was a little early, and I think that this was pushed a little bit, this idea of an interim belt, because of the UFC pay-per-view schedule. They just had to get a title fight on this card, and, well, essentially they needed another one because Amanda Nunes was supposed to headline this, I'm not headline, was supposed to be the co-main on this card, but they wanted another title fight for it, and nothing was lining up. The only thing they could get was Lewis and Gan, so they threw the interim belt on it to make it a little spicier for the fans, hopefully sell some more pay-per-views, and whether it's going to work or not, who knows. But um, this has this idea has received a lot of backlash, and understandably so. I mean, anytime you're getting an interim belt involved, it's going to come back with some backlash. And this situation where Francis has only had the belt for three months and we already have an interim belt is, I don't want to say unheard of, but this is the only time it's happened, you know, as of late. This isn't something that I have we have seen recently at all. But on a positive note, these are the two guys that should be fighting for the interim belt. And regardless of who wins, we're going to have the best guy fighting Francis Ngannou when Francis decides to defend that belt. So there are going to be some good things that come from this. And it looks like both guys are perceiving this interim belt the same way that the fans are. Neither of these guys are claiming they're going to be the undisputed champion. We've had guys in the past win the interim belt and act like they were the undisputed champion. Both these guys recognize that Francis is still out there and he is still the champion for a reason. So there are a lot of positives here. Um, a lot of things that we shouldn't have to worry about when it comes to the UFC and their belts. However, this doesn't look like it's going to turn out to be as bad of a situation as maybe it did when it first came around. So that is a positive on that side. And then let's move right in to how this fight's going to play out. From an X's and O's standpoint, I'm very curious as to how this could play out because I could see this going many ways. I could see this fight being like Surreal Gan versus Volkov or Rosenstrike, where Surreal Gan is going in and out of the pocket, 
you know, throwing leg kicks and essentially just hitting without getting hit, which is something Sriogan is very good with because of how quick he is. He can get in and out of the pocket very quick, land jabs, land one-twos, land leg kicks without ever over committing and throwing massive shots. And he can kind of ride that to decision victories. I think that could be a very plausible way that this fight could go down. Um, if you look at Derek Lewis, I think that even in his last fight against Curtis Blades, he was getting touched a little in the stand-up up until the KO. And I and that was partially, well, not partially, largely, because he was sitting back looking for a KO shot. That's not typically how we see Derek Lewis fight. Um, when Derek Lewis sits back and waits for a KO shot, we then see fights like Curtis Blades, where that fight was pretty underwhelming up until the KO, similar to the Francis fight, but in the Francis fight, he didn't find that KO. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see minimal action from Derek Lewis and him sitting back, kind of waiting for an opportunity, and then he can either find that opportunity or Cyril Ghan can ride that to a decision win. And those are two very different, you know, paths that this fight can go. You know, vicious KO for Lewis, Decision victory for Gan. Both those are realistic options. It's also a realistic option that we see a very active Derek Lewis. I mean, Derek Lewis, you know, is a lot more athletic than he's given credit for. He he is very, very diverse in his striking. He will throw flying knees. He will throw um, head kicks. And he will come forward at you and he will engage. It's all a matter of what game plan we see from Derek Lewis. Um, Derek Lewis could come out and wrestle a lot. I mean, Derek Lewis has had fights in the past where he has came out and attempted several takedowns and um, has won fights largely because of how underrated his grappling is. I mean, just because he doesn't have all the credentials in the grappling world as many others, that doesn't mean he doesn't have very good grappling. And Derek Lewis has worked a lot on his grappling to get to a high-level point, and I think he is there, and he's incredibly underrated, and I think he could use that even to really get an edge in this fight. If he can take Cyril Gan down consistently, this will be a very tough fight for Gan to win. I mean, if Derek Lewis can get a lot of control time and maintain his KO power on the feet, which he likely will maintain his KO power all five rounds, it's obviously going to be a tough night for Gan. So that's just kind of an idea to hear of how many different ways this fight can go. We can see Gan by a overwhelming, you know, decision victory. We can see Lewis by vicious KO. We could see a lot of groundwork from Derek Lewis. We could see a very active Derek Lewis pushing the pace. Um, we could see Derek Lewis sitting back and trying to catch real Gan. So that is why I'm so interested in this fight because I have no clue how this is going to play out. There's fights where you see it and you're like, okay, I kind of understand how this fight's going to go down. For example, Luke versus Kiesa, I think, is a great example of that. And um, Kiesa is someone who he's going to try and maintain range on the feet. And he is going to, you know, try and take the fight to the ground and try and submit Vicente Luque. And... I think that's kind of the obvious kind of way that fight will go. And this heavyweight title fight is not like that at all. And 
it's going to make the fight a lot more interesting to watch. And that is something that I am very excited for. And I think the way this fight goes is largely going to be determined by Derek Lewis. I think we try and see Surreal Gan, you know, fight the fights that he has uh, recently in his last three fights, you know, especially the last two, more likely not three, the last two fights. He, um, you know, tries to land the jab, lands like kicks, you know, works to the body, switches stance. That's likely the fight we will see from Surreal Gan. But Derek Lewis is someone who is very underrated in terms of intelligence. And that might not be Derek Lewis. It might be his coaches. It could be Derek Lewis and his coaches. But someone, whether it's Derek Lewis or his camp, creates great game plans for Derek Lewis. I mean, they are able to pinpoint a weakness to a, a weakness of their opponent. They're able to pinpoint that and try and take advantage of that weakness which is obviously a great strategy for winning a fight and against Curtis Blades it was land an uppercut or a knee while he's coming in against other fighters it's push the pace like the things we just talked about um the many things Derek Lewis can do to win the things that Derek Lewis um that will help determine how this fight goes are going to be how his coaches and him see this fight from a stylistic point of view coming in. And I think that is one of the reasons why I'm leaning towards Derek Lewis in my prediction for this fight, because I have seen a fighter who has came in and picked a great game plan, has executed that game plan, and has stuck to that game plan, and that has worked for him. And that is something that not many fighters can do. But when you look at fighters who can identify a great game plan and stick to it, they're usually successful, and I think that's something that Derek Lewis is going to do to a T in this fight. And Derek Lewis is the type of guy where he will just find his shot. Derek Lewis, you know, there's been, I mean, there's been fights where he hasn't found it, and he hasn't found that shot, and he hasn't put away the fight because he didn't find it. But he is up there in the rankings for most KOs of all time because he can find that shot and he has the power when he does find that shot. So when you uh, when you have a fighter who can bring in a ga- great game plan and can bring in all-time great power and especially at the heavyweight division, I mean, in my opinion, the sky's the limit and that's a very hard guy to beat. And so that's the reason that I have Derek Lewis winning this fight by KO. I just think he's going to come in with a good game plan stick to said game plan and he is going to catch surreal gone once he only needs to catch him once and on top of that prediction of Derek Lewis by KO I also think that surreal gone is going to look like he is winning that fight that fight could you know it could end in three minutes it could end in 24 minutes but whether it ends in three or 24 if it ends in three minutes Surreal Gan is probably going to control 2 minutes and 50 seconds of that fight, and then Derek Lewis is going to KO him. If it ends in 25, Surreal Gan, or excuse me, in 24, if it ends in 24 minutes, Surreal Gan is likely going to control 23 minutes of that fight, and Derek Lewis is going to find his shot. That's just what Derek Lewis does. And that is my prediction for this fight. And um, it's pretty obvious that afterwards, after this fight is done, the winner is going to fight Francis Ngannou. 
hopefully soon. And uh, we will kind of finally straighten out the heavyweight division. Probably not because we still have Stipe and John Jones and Volkov and all these other guys at the top of this division. So um, we are in an interesting spot here moving forward with this fight and the future of the heavyweights. It's going to be interesting to see, but um, like I said, I've got Derek Lewis by KO in this fight. Round doesn't matter. Whether you predict round one, two, three, four, five, all you're trying to do is make yourself sound smarter. So I'm just going to say KO because he's going to land a shot. Whether he comes in the first or the fifth, that's just, you know, that's just taking a shot in the dark and you got a chance to, maybe a chance to get it right and make yourself look smarter. So it doesn't matter what round. I've got Derek Lewis winning by KO. And then in the co-main event, we've got Jose Aldo versus Pedro Munoz. This fight is one of the better pieces of matchmaking we've seen this year. These are two guys I don't want to say at similar stages because Aldo is, you know, was a champion and one of the and it is one of the greatest of all time. Well, Munho's never reached those heights. I do think right now, um, obviously the rankings show that. Um, they're number six and number seven, I believe. Um, that's what they are on Tapology. But um, in terms of current skill, they are razor thin. And I think this is going to be a tremendous fight. If you look at Munho's last fight against Jimmy Rivera, that was fight of the night. Um, tremendous fight. All those five, Munho's is nine in the UFC rankings. And Munho's is a lot better than nine, realistically. Right now, he's probably better than Frankie at eight, probably better than Marlon at seven, possibly better than Cody at six. He did beat Cody. So, realistically, um, Aldo and Munho's, despite the gap that they have in their UFC rankings, are very close in terms of skill. So, the one thing that I can say for sure is... There's going to be a lot of leg kicks thrown in this fight. These two could very possibly go in there, trade ones, ones and twos and leg kicks for 15 minutes, and it'll be a blast. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Aldo try and take this fight to the ground like he did against Marlon Vera. I think as Aldo has aged, well, not even as he's aged, but he's he's... Um, he knows where he's at in a fight. He knows when he needs to get around. And he knows that, hey, if I have to take this fight to the ground to win, I'm willing to do that. And I think that's going to be the difference here. Is I think that Aldo is going to be able to do the little things that can help edge him out around. I think it's going to be very close. I've got Aldo by decision. But like I said, I just think he can do the small things to impress the judges um, to help him edge a close round, and that will eventually help him win the fight. But I think this is going to be a great fight, regardless of who wins, and I think it's going to be a very close fight. And then on the main card also, we have Michael Chiesa versus Vicente Luque. This was the fight I touched on a little bit earlier about how this fight is a little bit more predictable than um, Surreal Gown and Derek Lewis. Now, the reason for that is Michael Chiesa obviously wants to take this fight to the ground. And the question is, can he do that? Um, I think he should be able to. Michael Chiesa is a very strong guy 
who is very tremendous on the ground. And I think that's going to lead him to victory here. And even if Chiesa struggles getting this to the ground, if, if Chiesa can get this to the ground, he's going to get in some very good positions because he values control so much. So that's why I'm saying, you know, if he can get it to the ground, he's going to win. But Chiesa, even on the feet, the thing that I saw against Magny that I really liked is how well he was, you know, utilizing range. And Chiesa does it in a different way than someone like Izzy who utilizes range. Chiesa is just a really long guy, and he'll sit behind a jab, you know. He will keep the distance. He won't let you get in close and trade in the pocket unnecessarily. And I think that is going to help him for when he is in the stand-up with Luque, that reach and size. He's a very big guy for that weight class. And it's crazy to think that he fought at 155 at one point. Now he looks like a big 170-pounder. But, you know, on the feet, I think that range and the understanding that, you know, I can't get in a firefight with Luque. I've got to get this to the ground. So I think he's got the skills to manage the stand-up, get it to the ground. And then when he does get it to the ground, he's in his world. And I think he could likely get a submission, submission or a decision victory here. Um, either way, both very likely submission or decision. I would pick those almost evenly at this point. Um, maybe maybe a decision lean because it's a 15-minute fight and Kiesa is someone who does value control time and he's not going to... He values control where he's not going to make a mistake on the ground chasing a submission so he's a little bit less of a risk taker on the ground. So that could help him get to a decision victory. And then we also have Tisha Torres versus Angela Hill on this card. This is a very close fight as well in my mind. But I'm leaning Angela Hill. She has looked very good in many of her most recent fights. And... I, I am surprised at this point that this is on the main card of a pay-per-view. This isn't something that I was expecting. But um, I guess since this is going to be such a close fight in many people's eyes, um, I think that's why they've got this on the main card. But like I said, I've got Angela. I just think that she's a little bit more of a diverse striker, and that's going to help her edge out a victory in this one. And, you know... um. Angela Hill is no stranger to a close decision fight. So I think that experience in close decisions, even though she has lost a lot of decisions in her career, a lot of very close decisions that you could even make the case that she won. I'm not going to sit here and talk about that. That doesn't really matter at this point. But I think the experience in those really close fights are going to help her edge out a victory in this one. Another fight that I'm interested in is the stacked bantamweight division. We have Casey Kenny versus Song Yudong. This is another great example of great matchmaking from the UFC. The UFC has been doing great in their match matchmaking recently. Casey Kenny, Song Yudong, both very good prospects who lost their most recent fight. Song Yudong lost to Kyler Phillips. No shame there. Casey Kenny lost to Dominic Cruz. 
greatest fighter in that division's history. So absolutely no shame there either. I think matching these two up leaves you with, you know, a great place moving forward where someone gets back on their feet and can continue to pursue that 135-pound division. And for me, I'm leaning Casey Kenny in that fight. Um, this I, I hate picking this fight. But what we saw Casey Kenny and Dominic Cruz go through, anytime I see someone in a close fight with Dominic Cruz, regardless of how old Dominic Cruz is, Dominic Cruz could be 70 fighting in a retirement home. And if the other resident gets in a close fight with Dominic Cruz, hey, respect to that guy. And I'd pick him in a fight with another resident. That's the same way I'm thinking Casey Kenny. Regardless, if you get in a close fight with Dominic Cruz, I'm going to lean that you win fights, um, especially against unranked fighters, regardless of how good someone like Song Yidong is. So I've got Casey Kenny, and that's my reasoning there. Another great prospect on this card, Rafael Fiziev versus Bobby Green. I've got Fiziev in this fight, and I mean, I think he wins this fight via KO. He is someone who has just shown absolutely tremendous striking, in, especially in his most recent fight. But he's someone where every time you watch him, you get a little bit surprised. You're like, how is this guy doing this? And um, Bobby Green obviously isn't a nobody. Bobby Green is a very talented guy. But I just think that someone like Fiziev at this point in his career is, you know, on a very upward trajectory, and I think he continued riding that, and he gets a win against Bobby Green. And then uh, moving down a couple of fights on the card, we've got Carolina Quello. We've got Carolina versus Jessica Penney. Carolina obviously um, was one of the most, um, I shouldn't say most, one of the better prospects in that female strawweight division, and now she's making a return. Obviously, Carolina, you know, Carolina, excuse me, you know, obviously that run of her as a prospect in that division didn't play out as she wanted it to. However, I think she can get this fight done. Um, I think it's just something in the air right now. Misha Tate made her return, obviously a lot different than Carolina making her return. However, you know, I've just got this feeling here where she's going to be able to come back and get a win. Another interesting fight on this card is Manel Cape versus Ode Osborne. And I was really shocked that they are making Manel Cape fight someone this low in the rankings. I don't even know if Ode Osborne is ranked. He is not. Yeah, so the fact that Manel Cape, who is someone that I have sat here and I've talked very highly about Manel Cape, and I have been looking forward to his UFC debut. He lost that debut. Um, he then lost his second fight. Um, Toss-up decision, he lost that. Oday Osborne is someone who looked very good. Won his last fight via KO, head kick KO in the first round. I believe maybe even the first minute of that fight he won that fight. But regardless, he got a first-round head kick KO. Manel Cape, though, I think is just a little bit too much, too early for Ode Osborne. I really think he is going to be a great fighter in the UFC, uh, speaking about Osborne. But I, like I said, it's just too much too early. And Cape, I think, 
obviously has the experience. And I just think that this is a significant drop for him in terms of skill and who he's fighting. And I don't even I don't think he needed to see that drop in ability. I think he should have stayed and fought someone in the top fifteen. You know, it didn't happen. But I think Manel Cape gets into the wing column. And I think he wins this fight. And I think Ode Osborne bounces back after this loss and wins a couple more. I really like Ode Osborne as a prospect, especially at 125. However, at this point in their careers, I just think Manel Cape is going to win this one. And those are all the fights I'm going to talk about off UFC 265. Little short for a preview. There just aren't as many um, prelims fights to talk about. There's some cards where every fight on the prelims you got to talk about. There aren't really as many of these on this card where I feel like I, I'm pressed to talk about them. So, um, we just touched on the ones that really kind of stood out to me. And now we're going to talk about the fights that have been announced in the last week and a half or so. Obviously, last week, no episode. I mean... We didn't have much for a fight card. You know, there wasn't a bunch of other news to talk about. There was one or two fight announcements. We're going to fill those in now. And the date, the or the order we're going to do this in is we are going to talk about the fights that are coming up first. So, for example, the first fight that we're going to talk about is on October 23rd. The last fight we're going to talk about is on December 11th. So we're going to go in order by date that they are scheduled to take place in um, a little bit of organization rather than just throwing a matchup. All right, the first one, Paulo Costa versus Marvin Vittori. Absolutely excellent matchmaking here. You've got Paulo Costa and Marvin Vittori. Both lost to Adesanya in their last fight. Pair them up, easy enough. Winner gets thrown possibly into a title fight probably not but possibly um and it is a test here and i really like this because the, both these guys with a win are proving themselves because costa is someone for example where his last win was against Joel romero no longer in the ufc um doesn't have a bunch of wins inside the top 15 other than romero and then you have on the other hand Marvin Vittori, who his highest profile profile victory is coming off Kevin Holland, who a lot of people recognize as, you know, not at that same level as someone like Vittori or Paulo or Whitaker or one of those, you know, ranked guys at 185. A lot of people recognize that Holland isn't in that category of fighter. And on top of that... On top of that, Kevin Holland, you know, is just about the easiest stylistic fight for Marvin Vittori. This isn't like it was an uphill battle where he was fighting someone who was an awful matchup. He was given someone who a lot of people deem as overhyped and not at the same skill level. And someone who, you know, couldn't really defend a takedown. So both those things combine into you you know losing some credit so the winner of this is going to have a really good win on their record um just looking right now outside of holland and romero 
The best win for each is Hermanson. So I guess for Tory does have that high, high-profile win. And uh, that's not even that high-profile. Whatever. And um, Paulo Costa has Uriah Hall. And so these are two guys who are ranked um, in Hermanson and Hall, but neither of them are ranked, you know, Hermanson's at six right now, and Uriah Hall is at 10. So neither of these guys are two guys that jump out the page off the page right now in terms of being a title contender. So these two are getting a great win to add to their resume if they can go out there and get this victory. I think this was some really good matchmaking by the UFC, and I was very glad that they booked this fight. The next fight, and that was on October 23rd, to headline a UFC fight night. Okay, the next fight, we're going to have Rafael Dos Anjos versus Islam Makhlchev. This was also another great piece of matchmaking, and that's going to be a constant theme that we have here. Great matchmaking by the UFC. So, Islam Makhlchev. Rafael Dos Anjos. This was, I think, possibly the best matchup for Islam. You know, if we're going to book Islam against someone in the top 10 right now, which he does deserve someone in the top 10, you know, I think Rafael Dos Anjos is a good entry point to that top 10, even if Islam's ranked 5 right now. RDA is someone who won his last fight. You know, if you look at the top 10, Gregor Gillespie, that fight seemed very unlikely. Um, Connor out. Hooker lost his last fight. You know, is eight. Looks like he needs a little bit, something a little bit higher than Dan Hooker. They put him at seven against Dos Anjos. You know, they don't give him six. Tony Ferguson, who doesn't look like the number six ranked fighter right now at lightweight. They don't move him too far up in the rankings and give him someone like Chandler. I think RDA is a great entry point for Islam. And for RDA, I really think I really like this fight as well for RDA. Because RDA's last fight was against Paul Felder, who was coming in on short notice, had to cut a massive, massive amount of weight to even step in the cage that night. And other than that, Dos Anjos hasn't been, he hasn't looked too, or if you look at his record, just without diving too deep, Dos Anjos isn't on the best run. He's lost to Chiesa, Edwards, Usman, Covington, you know, all since 2018. Since those string of losses, he's only beat Felder and Kevin Lee. And before that, he's, he, his wins were against Lawler and Neil Magny. So it's not like um, RDA has been, you know, getting the crap beat out of him or anything like that. It's just that we haven't seen him with a um, high, high-level win. Um, no disrespect to Paul Felder or Kevin Lee. Kevin Lee is not ranked right now because he hasn't fought in so long. And Paul Felder, you know, in the last fight of his career, coming in on short notice and RDA being a very bad matchup as well for Paul Felder. I think this is a fight for RDA to prove as well to fans that, hey, just because I'm 36 and just because I haven't been getting my hand raised as much as I used to, that doesn't mean that I'm out of this yet. So I really like this matchup for both guys. That's on October 30th. 
That's going to be on the main card of UFC 267. That is UFC 267. That is going to be headlined by Jan Vlakovic and Glover Teixeira. We're going to talk about that that event a lot more. Um, jumping right into what is next for that event. Another fight that we had announced for that card. Alexander Volkov versus Marcin Tubora. Now, this is the one fight on here that I was a little bit like, huh? Like, huh? What are we doing? What are we doing? What'd you say? You know, that's this is the one. Um, can't go 100%. But really, there wasn't much else for Volkov to do. He did, you know, he's not exactly you know, on a winning streak, but at the same time, Alexander Volkov is someone where he is still a top tier guy in this division, you know, Volkov since 2019 has lost to Curtis Blades, he has beat Walt Harris, he has beat Alistair Overeem, and he lost to Surreal Gan. So this isn't a situation where, you know, it's not really like Volkov is someone where you're like, does Volkov still have it? Do we need to move him up or move him down in the rankings? You know, Volkov doesn't have anything to prove by beating Marcin Tabora. And I could have swore that Jarzinho Rosenstrock and Alexander Volkov fought, but I might just be an idiot. Okay. Um... Yeah, looks like I'm just an idiot. That would have been a not-so-bad fight. Um, Volkov versus Rosenstrike. Um, however, Volkov is booked against Curtis Blades, obviously. So when you have Volkov booked already... Excuse me. When you have Curtis Blades, Jorginho Rosenstrike booked, you know, he's not going to step up and fight someone. He's not going to fight Stipe. He's not going to fight Derek Lewis. Um, just really interesting. And I guess the timing of this, the timing of this is weird too, because I guess if Derek Lewis were to lose, that fight would make some sense. Run that fight back. It's just that there wasn't much for him to do. So I, this was probably up to Volkov and he probably chose to stay active and fight Tabora rather than sit on the sidelines and wait for that heavyweight division to open up a little bit. So, and you know, Good for him, I guess, but this isn't a fight I was expecting. This isn't a fight I saw coming. Not one I'm the most excited for, but I'll watch it, and it is going to be very meaningful because if Marcin Tabora can beat Alexander Volkov, that's going to throw another guy in that top six, top five range of that division who they need some parity in that division. They need a fresh face. I mean, good thing Surreal Gan came up. Some other guys... You know, Jarzinho, that fight was looking, or that division was looking, you know, we're starting to see this division, you know, run out of matches to make, simple enough. There just isn't enough turnover in the top half of that rankings to make sure everybody gets a fresh new matchup. So if Tabura can get in there and get a win, that's going to be very good for the heavyweight division, I think. That fight also on October 30th for UFC 
seven. Now, the interesting thing, we're actually we're gonna jump to the next card. Circle back. It'll make sense in a minute. Then we have Justin Gaethje versus Michael Chandler on November sixth, and that is UFC two sixty eight. This fight is. Who knows if it's going to happen. It was announced. And it might. You know. It sounds like Chandler might not be able to fight. So basically. I'm not really into all this politics stuff. But I'm going to give you. My interpretation of what I have heard. And how I understand the situation. And I'll leave you. To make your decisions on the situation. So what it sounds like. Is. New York State is mulling over, making it mandatory for people coming into New York to make it mandatory for them to be vaccinated, fully vaccinated. Um, Roughly, you know, I'm not, didn't do too much, you know, research into exactly how that law is going to come into effect. So maybe missing some minor details, but essentially that is the rule. If you're going to New York, you must be fully vaccinated. Michael Chandler said, hey, man, I'm not going to be vaccinated by November 6th. So if New York State does decide that, hey, you have to be vaccinated to come into the state, and Michael Chandler decides that he's not going to be vaccinated on November 6th, fully vaccinated, and the UFC can't find a way to work with New New York State to find a way around that law, which I can't imagine. That would surprise me if they could do that. They have done that in the past. Um, I believe they stepped in on some fighters with their visa issues. doesn't happen all the time. It's rare with the current administration in New York and Dana White's political beliefs. I doubt that does happen, but uh, I guess that is a small, very unlikely outcome. But basically, if New York puts this mandate in, and if Michael Chandler refused to be vac- refuses to be vaccinated by November the 6th, this fight can't take place. You know, if one of those two things, you know, doesn't happen, if New York State doesn't put the law in or Michael Chandler gets va- fully vaccinated, no worry in the world. You know, now, whether you think, oh, New York State shouldn't make these mandates, whether you think Michael Chandler shouldn't be forced to get vaccinated to fight, no matter what you think, I don't really care. I'm just telling you the X's knows about how this is going to affect the UFC in a tremendous fight. I don't really care what your political beliefs are. I'm not very political. I don't want to hear it. Okay? So, one of the two is going to happen. Maybe we'll see this fight. Maybe we won't. Maybe they'll move it back a week. And have a headline, something on, you know, maybe they'll put it forward a week. You know, I don't know why they had to schedule that. Well, I guess this was actually scheduled just before the mandate, you know, rumors of that law going in. So maybe they pushed this back a week. Maybe they push it back a month. You know, who knows when we see this fight, if we see this fight. A lot of question marks with that one. The other fight on UFC 268 would be Luke Rockhold and Sean Strickland. That was just announced for UFC 268. Now, um, haven't heard anything official about Sean Strickland and his vaccination. 
However, it does not seem as if Sean Strickland is the type of person to get vaccinated. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. But um, if I had to guess, I would guess that he's not vaccinated. But as of right now, we have not heard that news. So I will assume as if Luke Rockhold and Sean Strickland is taking place. And this is the type of matchup that I wanted for Luke Rockhold and for Sean Strickland. I was not bullish on the fact of Sean Strickland moving up in this division. You know, I don't think of matchup with someone like Strickland and Hit Till, Strickland and Brunson, maybe Strickland and Hermanson, but, you know, that's probably the only one that I like for Strickland inside of the top eight. Maybe a Gaslam. He's scheduled to fight Brunson, but, um, yeah, Brunson, no, um, Cannoneer. Cannoneer and Gastelum. Till and Brunson. My bad. But like I said, I'm not too bullish on Sean Strickland in the top seven right now. Unless you're talking Jack Hermanson, then maybe we can talk. <coughs> and my apologies for my voice being raspy. I don't know what's going on. And and then um, Luke Rockhold. I don't want to see Luke Rockhold in there with anyone in the top seven either. But also, you have to give Sean Strickland something, or you have to, excuse me, you have to give Luke Rockhold something interesting. You can't say, hey, Luke Rockhold, come back to fight Brad Tavares. You know, it doesn't really work like that. So I think this is a good way where we see Luke Rockhold come back. We see Sean Strickland get an interesting fight that isn't necessarily someone who is top tops in the world right now. So overall, Great matchmaking here as well. Like I said, also on UFC 268 on November 7th. Now, here's another interesting thing to note. Um, actually, we're going to... We'll hold off on that. We're going to... we're gonna. It's the second time I've decided we're going to push that back. We're going to push that back. Um, very interesting thing to talk about. Uh, that might be a little ranty, so that's why we're pushing that back. This next fight is a good one. But it is not official yet. It has been targeted. The UFC is targeting, keyword target, not official. The UFC is targeting Max Holloway versus D.A. Rodriguez on November 13th. This is also one where I'm like, huh, what are we doing? Because, you know, at this point with Volkanovski and Ortega in September, does Max Holloway need to fight in November? You know, it just doesn't make much sense. Max Holloway doesn't need a fight before a title fight unless he wants one. If Max Holloway says, man, screw that title, I'll just fight Yair because it'd be cool, then, you know, good for him. That's fine. Um, but um, the Max Holloway doesn't need this fight, and he can get a title fight without this fight. I think this would be a, this, you know, it's just tough for me. Anytime I see someone who should be fighting for a title, not fighting for a title. This is one of those where I can let it slide a little bit because it'd be such a great fight to watch. Um, the first fight I really 100% did that with was Dillashaw and Sandhagen where, hey, we acknowledge Sandhagen deserves to fight for this title right now. However, you know, we're so backed up in that bantamweight division where he wouldn't have been able to fight until 2022. Would have been messy. TJ Dillashaw is a great guy to fight in the meantime. Now, we were having a similar problem 
But then Max Holloway couldn't fight on July 31st. You know, pushing it back to November 13th is just kind of, do we still need it? We never need, well, I guess we never needed it. Do we still want it? You know, if you're Max Holloway, you know, I guess it all depends on how Volk and Ortega turns out. If we get a draw here, you know, Max Holloway booking this fight looks great. If we, and, and if he wins, obviously it looks great. But, you know, if this fight's a, a three-minute domination for one guy and they're able to make a turnaround in four months, and then Max Holloway gets in a war where he can't fight again for six months, you know, now it starts to look silly. So if it plays out well, it'll be great. If some things get messed up, you know, we're going to be in an interesting spot. And if Yair Rodriguez wins this, my goodness, the whole bantamweight division just got shook up. Imagine if Ortega wins against Volkanovski and Yair wins against Max Holloway. You know, Yair earned the title fight. You know, he is he going to get to fight for the title against Ortega? What are we doing with Volkanovski? What are we doing with Max Holloway? They're both two all-time greats in that weight class. Are they going to fight each other to determine who fights for the belt next? You know, it's just such an... We can we can really open up a can of worms here and create ourselves a mess at bantamweight. But, you know, if Volkanovski goes out there and gets a win and Max Holloway looks great again, you know, we're likely to see that third fight and, you know, that'd be it. So it's very interesting to see how this division is going to play out. I'm... And I'm, you know what? I'm here for it. And that fight was targeted for November the 13th. And then on November the 20th, Joanne Calderwood versus Alexis Grasso. Another good fight. Calderwood lost her last fight, so she's going to slide in the rankings a little bit. Alexis Grasso looked very good in her most recent fight, so she's going to climb a little bit. These two are meeting, one's sliding, one's climbing. They're going to fight to determine who gets to climb next. So, very good matchmaking. Um, I really like this fight. This is one where probably going to be a co-main of a UFC fight night, if I had to guess. And then Max Holloway versus Yair would probably be a main event. Um, I feel like that doesn't have to be said, but we will say that. And then... um, the last fight to talk about, one of the more interesting ones, Cody Garbrandt going down to fight Kai Kara France on December 11th. This has been something long talked about. Cody Garbrandt moving down to 125. He's finally doing it, and the UFC decided Kai Kara France was the name. This was interesting because Kai Kara France is ranked six, or excuse me, ranked seven. At 125, Cody Garbrandt is ranked 6 at 135. And if you just look at the skill gap between 125 and 135 in the UFC at the moment, that's not a knock on 125 because 135, you can make the case, is the best division in, in the UFC right now. But um, Cody Garbrandt at 6, moving to fight the 7th ranked guy in a worse division is something that I wasn't expecting to see. You know, you know, maybe Joey B, Brandon Royval, even Brandon Royval, even a similar situation. Figueredo, you know, 
what are we what are we doing here? I was surprised to see this, but I imagine that Cody Garbrandt is only one impressive win away from a title shot at 125. And then that is all I have for fight announcements. Now we're going to talk about the thing that I've said I was going to talk about twice, but then right before I started talking about it, I said, ah, actually, we're going to wait. So we're going to talk about that right now. That is looking at the pay-per-view schedule. On October the 30th, you've got UFC 267. On November the 6th, you've got UFC 268. And those dates are provided by Tapology. So if the dates are wrong and what I'm about to say is complete nonsense, blame it on Tapology. Don't blame it on me. I cited my sources. But... Um, yeah, just searched it again just to be sure because it is very unusual, but it is sounding like we're going to have two pay-per-views within two weeks. Now you're asking, are we really going to have to shell out $140 to watch two pay-per-views back to back? The answer to that is is no is what it's sounding like it's sounding like dana wants ufc 267 the first of the two events that one's headlined by blakovich and glover Teixeira, colmaine aljo sterling and piotr jan it sounds like that one dana wants it on abc which hey i absolutely love it i have long been against the pay-per-view model because I think it hinders the growth of the sport. Imagine if you told someone who wanted to watch football for the first time and they wanted to watch the Super Bowl or a playoff game. Imagine if they said, nope, nope, 70 bucks, pass it over. They're like, hey, uh, maybe I'm not interested in this sport. Maybe I'll go watch basketball instead. You know, I just feel like, especially, especially when you get to Saturdays in the fall, people, there's a lot of people who are going to want to watch, you know, if Alabama and LSU are playing on a Saturday night, especially in America, I know this is gonna, just going to be an American thing, but if Alabama and LSU are playing on a Saturday night, if Michigan and Ohio State playing on a Saturday night, you're not going to get anyone to really watch that and let alone shell out for a pay-per-view. And, you know, it, it makes it easier to get eyes on the sport. You know, imagine how many people would watch Conor McGregor if you didn't have to pay any money. You know, even if you keep pay-per-views for these big-time events, you know, Conor McGregor, you know, in, in all actuality, he's going to be a pay-per-view fighter for the rest of his career. If the UFC, say the UFC puts on UFC Africa like everyone wants, Say they give us Usman versus Leon Edwards and Adesanya versus Robert Whitaker and Francis Ngannou versus Stipe Trilogy or Derek Lewis or Cyril Ghan or whoever. You know, I guess the challengers don't matter. But say the UFC puts on that three-fight title card, you know, that's going to be a pay-per-view, you know. UFC 263, 259, 
shit, I don't remember which one it was. The one headlined by Usman and Masvidal, that's always going to be a pay-per-view three title fights. I'm cool with the pay-per-view model if you make it worth the money. But, for example, this card, you know, this upcoming card, the UFC 265, isn't going to sell a lot of pay-per-views. It's one interim title fight, and we've got one other bantamweight fight, one other middleweight fight. You know, that's really all that really sticks out in terms of big pay-per-view money fights. Um, things, And I mean things that add quality, you know, high quality to a card. I'm not saying that Aldo and Munoz could headline a pay-per-view right now. I'm saying the complete opposite. I'm saying this card isn't going to sell that much. And if we scrapped the pay-per-view model, the UFC wouldn't have had to push for this interim belt at all. If we don't have a UFC pay-per-view system, we don't have this heavyweight interim belt. We just have Amanda Nunes scheduled to fight against Juliana Pena. And then that fight falls apart. And now we were going to have, you know, a Saturday night, going to be a title fight. There was no pay-per-view. Now we just have it headlined by Jose Aldo and Pedro Munoz. Now it's just a regular fight night. And cost is going to be the same, aired the same. You know, even if you try to get another fight, you could still throw Derek Lewis and Surreal Ghan on there um, for a big, you know, number one contender fight in the heavyweight division. You don't need the belt because it's not a pay-per-view. You know, a lot of the issues that we have in terms of scheduling would likely disappear. We would probably get more, more, the, the cards would be frequently more better. Oh, that was a terrible sentence. The, each week, each Saturday, we would have a higher quality card because you don't need to shell out and just jam one pay-per-view so it sells well. You can, you know, take fights where you can make a pay-per-view because it's not going to be on pay-per-view. For example, if you look at, say, if you look at, say, you know, UFC 267 would be a great example. Say you want to put on 267, and since you're not making this a pay-per-view, you could move Islam Makhlchev and RDA to the next week to make that Saturday night fight night card better. It just gives you more versatility when you're not strapped in, hey, this day we have to give pay-per-view quality fights. You don't have to load one night as much. You can disperse the quality amongst many other nights. So, I don't, and, and even if we don't fully go that way, fully go that direction, maybe, but even if we ease back and have eight pay-per-views a year, even if it's 10 pay-per-views a year, you know, I still think that's very beneficial in the long term. And I think that's something that I think the UFC is going to look at, especially if you can get airtime on ABC. So, um, I just think it's going to be a great situation for the UFC. I hope this card does very well and shows that the UFC should put on more fights like this for free. I hope this is something, you know, a turning of the tide, a realization point where we see, you know, more pay-per-views that are free. And I think that's a really interesting concept, and I hope it works out. Um, I think Jan Blachowicz, Piotr Jan, Eljo Sterling, Glover Shashera, Amanda Hibas, Islam Makhlchev, Rafael Dos Anjos, Alexander Volkov, Marcin Tabora, Hamza Chimaev. These are all great fighters to shove to an audience for free, pay-per-view fight for free. Walt Harrison tied to Ivasa is on that card for 
Christ's sake. It's like that card is going to be so tremendous and pushing this for free. Hopefully we get more eyes on the sport. Hopefully it works. Hopefully we continue to see that. Now, the other thing that is something that's not a future prediction, my goodness, or kind of a, it's just more of what we're seeing now. Having two pay-per-views back-to-back is going to be electric. And especially with UFC 268, is looking like it's going to be a ridiculous pay-per-view. I mean, um, right now, we've got three fights. Usman, Covington. Gaethje, Chandler. Strickland, Rockhold. It's like, hey. You throw one or two more big fights on that card, it would be wild, wild, absolutely wild, okay? So now we're in a situation where we get that, I I can't even put together a sentence, partially because I'm bad at putting together sentences, despite the fact that I have a podcast. The second being, this is just ridiculous. I'm having trouble grasping the fact, and I realized this. About 10 seconds before I started filming. So I haven't even had time to think and digest the fact that we're going to have two pay-per-views in two weeks. And what I also just realized this second was Michael Chandler said he probably won't be vaccinated by November 6th to have the fight at Madison Square Garden in New York. But that card is headlined by Colby Covington. So what are we even talking about? Because Colby Covington, if anybody in the UFC isn't getting the vaccine to fight in New York City, it's Colby Covington. So that fight's either not going to take place in New York City at Madison Square Garden, or that rule is not going to be applicable to UFC fighters. Because if if Colby Covington ain't fighting, if Michael Chandler ain't fighting, if Sean Strickland ain't fighting because they don't want to get the vaccine, you know, we're left with Usman, Gaethje, and Rockhold. Uh, yeah, those matchups, you ain't going to be able to pair them together. So, good luck. Okay. Um, yeah, but I still can't believe we're having this debate about the vaccine. Get it or... If, if, if the COVID... If COVID starts canceling UFC cards because fighters won't get vaccinated... I've had enough fights get canceled because fighters have COVID... And if we start getting more cancellations, there's none that hurts my soul like a good fight getting canceled, man. And I did just realize that this podcast is going long. And I'm just rambling about nonsense and showing my excitement for UFC 267 and 268. Regardless, we're getting two ridiculous pay-per-views back-to-back. It's going to be tremendous. And maybe they even do one big press conference the week before. That would be even crazier. You know, only crazy things can happen um, for 267 and 268. And the last thing I have to talk about, which is equally as crazy almost as what we just talked about, is Chad Mendez is coming out of retirement. Now, I said that. And if you don't know the news I'm speaking of, you're probably like, Chad Mendes, out of retirement? He's going to fight in the UFC? Answer, no. Oh, fighting in Bellator? Nope. Chad Mendes, he's a good fighter. Fighting in PFL? One, where's he going? Nope and nope. 
Now you're running out of ideas. Well, I'm here to tell you, Chad Mendez is fighting in bare-knuckle boxing. Now, Chad Mendez, one of two things is going to happen. Chad Mendez is going to come in here and um, might get knocked around a little. Might get punched in the face too often. Might get knocked out because he hasn't fought in three years. That's one option. Or the second option, Chad Mendez is going to come in juiced to the gills, cutting weight to get to 155 because that's where he's fighting, not 145. And he's going to throw hands and make grown men look like he's going to make break the, just break the bones in their face. One of the two is going to happen. He might make a grown man look have a face that looks like hamburger meat. You know, he might take a dude's nose and remove it from his face. One of those two options are going to happen. Now, which one are we going to see? I have no clue. But I'm willing to watch for the first time. And if it's the first option, if Chad Mendes is getting knocked around, I'll probably turn it off. And um, I'll probably get on with my day hoping that Chad Mendez never fights again. But as Chad Mendez comes in, juice to the gills, and he comes in, and he starts knocking people out and getting in brutal, just brutalizing people, you want to know what I'm going to do? I'm going to reach into my pocket. I'm going to take out my wallet. I'm going to take out all my money and say, here, take it. Give me more. I'll get out my credit card. You can just have the whole card. Do whatever you want with it. I just want Chad Mendes fighting again. You know, one of the two is going to happen. So I'm either going to be poor because I gave all my money to watch Chad Mendes fight people with no gloves. Or I'll be very sad because Chad Mendes lost. So it's going to be one of the two. I'm interested to see which one of the two it is. Um, I'm sure you are as well. And with that cliffhanger... um. This episode of the Head Kick KO podcast is over. Make sure you tune in in the future to determine if I am poor because I spent all my money watching Chad Mendez fighting bare knuckle boxing. Or just tune in because you want to hear me talk about MMA. Just do me a favor and tune in. Next week's episode should be a good one. We're going to take a look at UFC 265. We're going to talk about the fallout from that. There's going to be something. There's going to be something to talk about. There's a, There always is. The judges are from Houston. Now, I'm not saying that that is going to favor Derek Lewis. But what, I'm at, what I am saying is uh, UFC judging in Texas is historically bad. So, buckle in. That's all I'm saying. And all we're going to do is talk about UFC 265. And we're going to touch on any other news that we have that happens between now and Sunday or Monday, depending on when I work. Um, probably not going to be much. There is no other card to talk about because there is no fight card on the 14th this month. Got a week off. The 21st. It's headlined by Cannoneer and Gastelum. So we will just talk about UFC 265 and anything else that comes up. If that sounds like fun to you, you're already here. You know where it's going to be. 
It's going to be at the Hecate Kale Podcast. So, now that you know, now that you're in the know, thank you for watching the Hecate Kale Podcast. And like I said, come back next week and have a good one.